0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I begin this morning, I want to first off start by drawing your attention to something that you may not have read yet, but you certainly see it now as it is on the screen before you. Um, the The title of my sermon, The Future Looks Bright. Uh, first off, I want to draw your attention to it because when I chose this title based on this text, uh, the ongoing events uh, that have taken place in the Ukraine and in Europe had not uh, happened yet. And at the same time, secondly, given that context, I believe that what Jesus does this morning in our text is he points us towards this reality of a promise for us in our future, for all those who believe, for all those who are holding on to that hope, as you heard in our Old Testament and New Testament readings and, of course, in our gospel reading. So, even though it may not seem this way, I say this with the fullest sincerity of my heart that Jesus points us to the reality that our future looks bright. Because what Jesus does this morning is he reveals a promise of what is coming. See, uh, the story from Luke's gospel It's probably one that I hope is very familiar to you because at least here at St. Andrew it's a story that you are going to hear every single year and uh, you may not hear it in the same way because it is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and we do read all three depending on the year Uh, and they all have their nuances and differences but the heart of the story remains the same. This morning's gospel and today is all about the transfiguration of Jesus. And another reason that this is probably familiar is because in our liturgical calendar and and what we use to to select the readings here at St. Andrew, this reading comes at a very specific time of year every year. It marks the end of one liturgical season and the beginning of another. Uh, So suffice it to say, times are a-changing. See, for the past few weeks, we have been in the season of Epiphany. And Epiphany began on January 6th. And as I said in my sermon on January 9th, when we celebrated Epiphany, one of the themes of the season is light, specifically Jesus, and how Jesus as the light is revealed to us. And what the light does in our lives then is it reveals all different kinds of ways that Jesus's power is on display, his, his presence is in our lives, and how the light breaks through all different kinds of darkness in our world. And so uh, real quickly, whether you've realized it or not, you've been every week for the past seven weeks hearing about something that the light does. And so I just want to dive back into uh, those different things, how the light has been revealed to us. First off, we began, of course, on Epiphany, celebrating when the wise men saw that great star when they saw Jesus that night. And the light of Jesus then shines over all the people. And from that we moved on to Jesus' first miracle in the Gospel of John, the wedding, and the light points us towards this feast that has no end. And then the light being revealed through Jesus was how he proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor to the people. Scripture then was fulfilled in their hearing, and that was a promise and sign of his authority. The light reveals its power. And then from that we saw how the light comes out and calls people to follow it to drop everything that they're doing and to follow that light because that light leads you to eternal life. And then two weeks ago, we heard about how following the light changes our lives, how it turns our world upside down. And then last week, of course, we heard about how the light steps into and breaks through the darkness of broken families and friendships and relationships, and it pours out upon us grace and forgiveness and how we can share and receive those wonderful gifts with one another. And then today we have the culmination of this revealing of the light. The light, a moment, a glimpse of the fullness of the light. How it will one day shine over all the people forever and ever and there will be no more darkness. The light, Jesus reveals to us that our future looks bright. Now, Usually, I think when we hear this phrase, it's often taken in one of two ways. Uh, I'll start off with the the more positive connotation, whether uh, you've heard it in a movie or uh, read it in a book or seen it on a TV show. Usually, this is often said about a child. Uh, When a child does really well at something, you'll hear someone in the crowd say, oh, wow, their future looks really bright. And maybe that was said about some of you. And and I think it's just meant to make us feel good to say, oh, man, I've got something to look forward to. And if you've ever had that said about you or said that about someone, it was really that that kind of positive feeling and you want them to take that away. Even though you have no idea what their future really looks like, it's a good feeling to hear, ah, the future looks bright. Now, I think alongside that then, and perhaps a more common feeling sometimes, is that this statement is nothing more than a platitude. It's nothing more than some sort of positive mindset. And depending on the context in which this is said, it can seem a little out of place and at certain moments it can even seem insensitive. And I think in those moments what's really hard is it's hard to see the future looking bright when the world around us doesn't look that way, when the world around us looks dark. Even though I I think when people say this, it's always meant with the best intention. It's always meant to, to put that positive spin on, to try to move forward, and yet sometimes that's just really, really hard to do. But the truth is that with Jesus, this statement is true even in the midst of those hard times. And yet, again, it's challenging to always see that. I think this is where I resonate with Peter so much from this gospel story this morning. Now, uh, there are some things that we know about Peter. I kind of think of him as a pretty polarizing guy because you either really want to be associated with what he's doing or you really don't want to be associated with what he's doing, right? Uh, Think about it this way. A few weeks ago in Pastor Mark's sermon, Peter was one of the apostles that was out on the boat when Jesus had gone to call them and after his most successful day ever as a fisherman, Jesus says, follow me and Peter leaves it all behind. Good job, Peter. Peter all right, a moment we can follow. And another time in the teachings of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, uh, Peter is listening and, and Jesus is telling his apostles, if my teachings are too harsh, perhaps you shouldn't follow me. And in that moment, Peter responds, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. These are words that we often sing here in the context of our liturgy right before we hear the gospel because this is a powerful confession, a beautiful confession of faith from Peter. And then, of course, we have moments like the ones in our story today, moments that perhaps we often know Peter more for because it's just another one of those times where Peter is talking way more than he should. And I've told this to you before, and I think this is a characteristic that I share with Peter, and not one that I'm proud of, but one that I'm aware of nonetheless, or I've been made aware of. But see, I understand what Peter's doing here because I really think that he has the best intentions when he speaks. See, uh, just before this moment, when they go up to the mountain, Jesus had been with his apostles and he was telling them about what was coming. He was telling them about uh, how he, the son of man, was going to die and be beaten and and rejected and crucified and then rise again. And and it's all in the context of Jesus kind of foreshadowing this reality of his crucifixion. Uh, he, He goes as far to say this, those who are ashamed of me and my words, of them the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels. But truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Just eight days before our story this morning, Jesus drops these heavy words on his apostles that the Son of Man is going to die and be crucified. And those who reject him will be rejected. I mean, all this context has been laid upon them. And so they've had eight days to process, to think through this before Jesus takes Peter and James and John up on that mountain. And then they experience something that they could have never have imagined because as scripture tells us, they were being taken aside to go up and pray. And that was a common thing that Jesus did with his apostles. He took them aside. He often went off on his own, but he also took them to go and pray with him. And then in that moment, he's transfigured. Scripture has such a vivid way of describing it that his face is changed right before their very eyes, that his clothes become dazzling white. And as they're there, two men appear also in this fullness, in this glory, Moses and Elijah, that the apostles are able to, to make them out. And uh, this, this light is so, so bright that it wakes them up from their sleep. Yes, another thing that you don't really want to be associated for. Peter, sleeping, common for him when he's with Jesus. Not sure why, but it's whenever Jesus tells him to pray. And I'm sure you've all been there before. But this light, this moment is so bright that it wakes them up from their slumber and they see not only Jesus in his full glory, but the two men with him. So let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes for just a moment. Just a few days ago, we were with Jesus and he told us that the son of man was gonna die, be crucified and then rise again in three days and and people would be rejected who didn't believe and they would be ashamed. And now, for whatever reason, he has taken Peter and James and John, he's taken us up to the mountain with him. And the most incredible moment ever in our lives thus far happens. A moment that you can't imagine how good it was going to be, and yet that is what happens. The glory, the full glory of Jesus on display. Things that you've only heard about through prophets like Moses and Elijah. And when they appear, it's this full scene of glory. Things that quite literally you may have only dreamed about, and even your dreams weren't that good. But here you are, awakened to this moment a moment that I can only imagine you would never want to end a moment that was very clearly and literally so bright it makes sense that Peter says in this moment Lord it's good for us to be here let me make some tents so that we don't have to leave why would Peter ever want to leave this moment He wouldn't, right? I mean, it would make no sense to want to leave this moment because Peter is seeing the greatest thing he's ever seen. The glory of the Lord is right there before his very face. Perhaps at this moment, for the first time in Peter's life, the present and the future look bright, And I think that is a perspective that we can really resonate with. In fact, I think uh, this is what I like to call Peter's mountaintop experience. Now, if you've ever been hiking before, then you might quite literally know what it means to climb up a mountain. And uh, it's it's quite an exhilarating feeling to, to perhaps survive some of the elements and the rigor and the training and all the things that can go into it. And it's a good thing when you get to the top. Uh, But the interesting thing about climbing mountains is that there are kind of levels to each mountain, so to speak. There's uh, different um, heights, you'd say. Uh, For example, if you were hiking in Maryland, the highest summit in the state is 3,360 feet. Now, that's pretty good. It's it's pretty great. However, if you went off to the Appalachian Trail just west of us, the highest elevation you'd get to the highest summit is 6,625 feet. So already there's another level for you to go to. And of course, if you think about a place like the Rocky Mountains, the highest summit there that you can climb is 14,440 feet. Now, when I was out there, I had to complete a hike in order to pass my vicarage. And even though we didn't summit, we got up to about 13,300 feet. And let me just tell you, the world looks like a different place from that height. And when when you're taking it all in, it is literally breathtaking because of the elevation, but also because of everything that you're seeing. You're seeing the whole world in a new way. On the one hand, seeing the glory of it all, and on the other hand, seeing how small you are in the reality of it. If you've ever been to the top of a mountain, you know what that mountaintop experience is like. It's one that you want to hang on to. But That's literal mountains, right? I think that phrase, mountaintop experience, is also applied to other aspects of our lives that have nothing to do with hiking. Uh, Like... When you're a kid, the mountaintop experience is uh, when you do really well on a test and then you come home and you receive the, the ice cream or the thing that your parents promised you. And then as you get older, right, you want to be number one in your class and you graduate and you go to the best college and that's the mountaintop. And then the mountaintop just kind of keeps changing. Then it's going to your, your dream school, getting your dream job, moving on from that. Maybe it's, it's a marriage and a family and a life or maybe it's traveling, seeing the world, going to all different kinds of mountaintops. Whatever the case may be, I think we've all had that mountaintop experience and and if it was worth it if all the work that we did to climb up to the mountain all the energy and effort that it took if it was as good as we hoped the last thing that we want to do is leave it we can so clearly see why peter wanted to stay on top of that mountain because if you think about it if you've reached the mountaintop what comes next the journey back down. Uh, what, what you're looking forward to, perhaps, literally, is walking back down this road that you just traveled. And i got to be honest, usually when you're looking down into the valley, it doesn't look too bright. The exhilaration, the excitement of getting up top to the mountain is so incredible that from that point on, looking ahead to what may come, especially as you walk back down, isn't going to be as good. When you're coming down from the mountaintop experience, it's not nearly as fulfilling as what it was to be on top. And I imagine that's just how Peter felt too. Remember, this was a moment, the best thing Peter had ever seen in his entire life up until that point. And so he wanted nothing to do with that. He just wanted to stay there. But if you think about it, if you think about what it would have meant for Peter, if he would have built those tents and he would have stayed on top of that mountain, he would have missed so much more about his life. That, in fact, Peter would have missed perhaps the most life-changing moment that would occur on the side of another mountain. See, because Peter, even for this moment, thinks that he has seen certainly the greatest experience. He doesn't want to leave it, but Jesus knows there's more to be done. Instead, what Jesus is doing for Peter, for me, and for you on top of this mountain as he reveals his glory is reminding us about the promise that is to come. See, Jesus knows he's not there yet. That what happens in the life of Jesus from this moment on is he begins to lead the disciples back down the mountain. And from this point on, going back down the mountain then leads him to one very specific place, and it's on top of another mountain. Except this time, his glory is revealed in a whole new way. It's on top of the mountain where the cross on which he laid is now standing. That the glory of Jesus is now shown through his death. That even though we weren't there, our sins are laid upon that cross. That mountaintop experience through which we see Jesus' death is the greatest experience any of us will ever have in our earthly lives. It's because of what Jesus does on that mountain, on that cross, that I can say to you with the fullness of hope, the future looks bright i say this knowing that right now our world our lives look anything but bright that uh, of course when we look at the world around us uh, there's there's war there's division there's hatred there's racism there's injustice there's illness there's despair there's death there's all the problems going on even in our own individual lives that it can seem so dark it feels like perhaps stuck in the bottom of the valley only looking up and wondering what's at the top of the mountain and what Jesus tells us today is he's with us even in those valleys that his light still shines even when we are down in the valley as he takes us up to the mountain and reveals a promise of what is coming. And what's coming is his return. What's coming is the fullness of his glory. Realize what's coming is the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. What's coming is new creation. What's coming is what we put our hope in, the promise of Jesus as he reveals his glory to us on that mountain. And therefore, whether we are on top of the mountain or in the valley, we have hope. Hope. Hope in the eternal promises of Jesus as he reveals that glory to us. Hope in what is coming, what has been promised, what has our name written upon it. The mountaintop that is the glory of the Lord showing around us. And it's with that hope in mind that we take our lives one day at a time. And uh, in a world that needs that hope, we share it And perhaps we say something as simple as as just four words. A prayer that not only points us towards that hope, but reminds us that our future indeed in Christ is so bright. The prayer, my dear brothers and sisters, that we pray, that we hold on to, that we ask for is this. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.